Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode is sponsored by Builder.io. Visually build on your tech stack. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Uh, good. My, uh, I'm very worried about my computer right now because it's randomly freezing on me. Oh no. oh, no. Hopefully it stabilizes a little bit. Before yes. we lose you, today we have Swix with us, and we're going to be talking about Temporal and what is our title today? Linking your microservices with workflows. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little bit of an intro for yourself, Sean? Yeah, hi. Um, I've been on Coding Cat before. Um, well, I guess uh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> I always, always forget. I always mix up the branding. Um, I know. Maybe I should yeah, have left it one. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, well, so uh, I'm Sean. I'm from Singapore. I uh, am currently head of developer experience at Temporal, and I'm also fairly active in the Svelte community, where um, I first, I think, uh, talked about Svelte with you guys. Yeah. That was a great episode. We had um, Sean on to do what's up with Svelte last year. And we're so glad to have him back today to talk about where you work, right? Temporal. Yeah, uh, we just, um, uh, you know, I spent the past year and a bit working on the new JavaScript and TypeScript SDK that we yeah, released. Uh, we just, um, uh, and then we uh, recently announced our Series B where we, uh, uh, you know, celebrated a, a lot of results of all that work with our community. So uh, very happy to talk more about that. That's amazing. Congratulations on the Series B. Thank you. <laughs> My first time um, joining a company from sort of pre-revenue stage to sort of unicorn status and uh, going seeing that entire journey from beginning to end. Nice. Um, I am going to throw up, I, I think, I could be wrong, but your kind of the iPhone of system design on Temporal is the best thing that like I could find visually. So I might bring that up okay. and then we could uh, kind of talk through bits and pieces of that. Do you want to give yeah. like the, the 30 second what Temporal is other than the, the workflow for microservices? Yeah, totally. Um, I think that the best way to talk about it is based on your requirements um, and I think the, the whole, the whole, my whole journey to Temporal came from going through Netlify and AWS and being essentially an advocate for the serverless ecosystem and uh, realizing that the serverless ecosystem did a lot of things really well, but did, one, did not do one thing that well, which was long-running processes, long-running jobs, long-running uh, logic, anything like that. Um, in order to do anything that's long running, you essentially start to have to create a bunch of cron jobs and to just ping constantly to heartbeat and, and to, to, to check if any statuses have changed and to action upon those statuses. Um, and it's very brittle. It's untestable. Uh, it's, not, it's not runnable locally on your machine. Um, and I realized, like, actually, this is very important. Like, uh, there's so many bus core business loops in every company that rely on something that's inherently long running, even something as simple as a timeout or retry of an API call. So if you call an API, typically you get some kind of timeout you know, in, in, uh, established by let's say the browser or whatever, um, but that's about it. 
And, the bro- and a lot of those timeouts are in memory. In other words, if your system went down during the timeout and you restarted it again, you would have lost all memory of that API call that you made. Um, so that's fine for like a browser uh, call. You just got to refresh and re- try to redo the action again. But that's not fine for backend logic, where potentially that was a payment call trying to go through. That was a booking for an, a hospital appointment. Anything like that where it's really critical that it went through. Like if, if you said you're going to do something, you, should, you better do it um, or you better fail. And there's no, there should not be a limbo state where we just lost the data. Oops, sorry. Um, so in other words, every single time you make an API call, you need to log it somewhere. You need to register it somewhere. Um, every single time you retry it uh, or you, you time out, uh, you, you need to log that as well. And you need to be able to, to resume from where you logged. Um, and that's the sort of core insight of Temporal, that everything is uh, event sourced and that uh, if you can sort of wrap that up and wrap up every single API call that's durable, um, you have a very reliable, robust system that is re- resistant to failure, but then also um, horizontally scalable as well, because the only thing you need to do in order to scale up for more traffic is you just throw more machines at it because everything is sort of inherently decoupled. I'm sorry, that was not 30 seconds. No, that's fine. <laughs> No, I think that's a really good summary. Um, I'm just going to bring up some visuals because I, I know myself and a lot of individuals are kind of better with with pictures. So mm-hmm. what, what I brought up here is kind of what you had created for the, the the different systems coming in here. And then you you kind of go on to explain like there's issues with system B, there's this issues with system C. And that's that's kind of what you were talking about when you when you did the, the 30 second piece. Um, but I wanted to show like this one, this, this is totally what I'm used to. And I think like everyone that's ever oh designed God. microservices, yeah. this is kind of the setup that you get into, like as far as SQSQ. So can you talk just a little bit about how this probably works for most people today and where Temporal will shift that? Yeah, sure. Um, so what you're looking at is uh, a screenshot from a blog post that was that came out of AWS on how to add uh, retries to an ABI call in AWS Lambda. Um, and it involves no less than three SQS queues uh, and a bunch of arrows pointing all over the place. Um, and it's it's messy. Um, so guess what? Like, yes, that is the ideal, but people don't do it because there's so much admin uh, involved in setting this up. Um, and I've, you know, I think the, the more I think about it, the more I'm of the opinion that this is just a standard production grade requirement. Like every time you make you cross any system boundary, I don't actually really even care if it's a microservice, a macro service, or a mini service. I don't really care about the size of the service. Could be a service function. Um, it just every time you cross a system boundary, um, you have a chance of failure because you're crossing the network, right? Uh, the 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 system can go down or uh, the network could be intermittent or, or or down altogether. So you need to have some system of timeouts and retries that model whatever you know you're expecting. And to implement that requires each of these steps. And like think about it, how many how many API calls do you make? <laughs> you know, internally and externally with, with between uh, services. That's a lot. And if you had to set this up every single time, uh, that would be a lot of admin and probably a lot of cost. And I think ultimately the the realization is that. Um, the primitives that AWS gives you aren't set up for this special purpose use. Like you could use these general purpose queues and lambdas and stuff to to get at what you want. But ultimately, this a special purpose unit 
uh, is sort of like what we call like a reliability primitive. Like ultimately, what you, all you're trying to do is you're just trying to persist uh, the record that you're attempting something somewhere and every single retry and every single failure should be logged so that you can follow up on it, right? Like it sounds very reasonable. How come it's so hard, right? Yeah, um, I think this and so, starts to get into Yeah, exactly. That, right? It starts to build up into this like crazy like Pepe Silva diagram, which um, is very normal for a serverless ecosystem. And I think if you're a consultant or architect, you look at this and it's beautiful, right? Like um, <laughs> the the, the um, sort of pushback on, all right, so what? There's a bunch of logos on this diagram, but what we've done is we've broken out every single part, every single function in your app and we've made it standalone and uh, infinitely scalable and so, and so on. Um, the point is like some of these don't have to be separate separately managed pieces of architecture. They, they actually function as one logical unit that have one purpose. So what if we made a new abstraction that sort of pulled together a bunch of these, like the database, the cron scheduler, the queue, and we just made that one unit that um, could, could be used uh, every single time anything long running came up. Uh, that would massively simplify your architecture. Um, and also basically, so re really what the, what's the insight is that you need, <coughs> you need as much of your application to be stateless as possible because it's easy to debug, easy to test, uh, so on and so forth. But all these timeouts and retries are stateful. Um, so in other words, like every single maintainer of every uh, part of your system, like every uh, microservice, every, uh, you know, every, every section, uh, starts having to make their, st their service stateful just to get all this stuff to work. Um, but what if you had a central orchestrator to handle the stateful part and then uh, let everything else be stateless? Uh, that's kind of what the, the next slide is, is, is kind of um, talking a little bit about the orchestration pattern uh, that centralizes all of this work that's going on. This is much simpler. <laughs> <laughs> so so is, it, yeah. is it truly that magical, though? I mean, is uh, in my head, there still exists that crazy like framework that we just looked at or like orchestration that we just looked at for temporal? Or is it as simple as you write the business logic and everything else is taken care of downstream? Um, that is... It, that's going to be it for the majority of the application developers. Oh, I think we lost you, Sean. Sorry, sorry. Um, no I think I accidentally hit it. Um, so, so that is the case for the, that's the experience that most application developers have. Like, as long as I have Temporal, uh, all I write is workflow uh, functions and activities. Um, and and then I, you know, throw it onto Temporal, and Temporal takes care of the rest. Fantastic. But really, um, it does give rise to uh, work for a platform engineer, which is kind of like a rising profile in, in the companies that we deal with. So central platform engineer is what handles the scaling and uh, administration and maintenance of Temporal within a company. Um, so it's, it's not a free proposition. Uh, you know, there is a cost, and the cost is someone has to maintain the central cluster uh, uh, you can either do it yourself or you can pay us to do it for you, which is uh, the source of revenue for Temporal. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's definitely not free, but I think the, the the clean separation in architecture makes it so that not every person in your company needs to be a distributed systems expert to do reliability right. Um, so essentially, you get to centralize that expertise into uh, Temporal, the, the open source software, and whoever is managing uh, the temporal deployments within your company. Uh, and then everyone else just kind of uses that. 
um, and, and just focuses on being a dev rather than being a distributed systems expert. Cool. Um, uh, we're going to pause one quick second for our advertisement and then we'll come back sure. and, and chat about kind of where we would use this uh, in our system setup. Today's podcast is brought to you by Builder.io, visually building the web. Builder.io has one of the most powerful visual editors in the industry. Unlike other tools, Builder actually produces the code for you. You don't have to completely switch out your framework either. Just use one of the handy SDKs that are available. There's no limits to what you can build. Instead of limiting your marketing team, start to optimize and let them do the work. This will allow your web developers to get back to the hard work that it takes for other components, allowing your team to do A-B testing and personalization. Stop worrying about bugs in production. Just use the site as it is, then you can analyze and start converting all of your customers with Builder's built-in heat maps. Stop limiting your growth with developers' long lead times. Start building, optimizing, analyzing, and start growing faster. Don't take my word for it. You can sign up for free today and start building the web visually with Builder.io. Nice. Yeah. So, so coming back in um, after we've kind of popped out for advertisement there, I, I'm kind of curious when we look at like that orchestration piece, typically like I would be doing all of that through like Terraform and it would be pushing up to like Google or AWS or whatever to set those like SQS queues up and things like that. When we start to switch over to like temporal and have that centralized orchestration are, are you hosting it completely for an individual or is it like it maps to a Terraform that then maps to Amazon? Uh, What's that look like? There's no mapping. Uh, it, okay. Everything is sort of um, in whole cloth from Temporal. Um, so yeah, every time you, when you're self-hosting or when, when you're uh, working with Temporal Cloud, um, it basically, uh, we, we provision those queues dynamically for you if you, if you need them. Uh, and we store that state for you dynamically if you need it as well. Um, so it's a pretty magical experience in the sense that like uh, to store state on temporal, you basically declare a variable um, and then you do th you do stuff to that variable and that's about it. It persists. It's uh, you know durable to every any uh, downtime and you can uh, call on it uh, just like you would a normal function, except that it's just magically durable and uh, completely auditable in terms of uh, the step-by-step -step evolution of the changes in state. Um, so uh, I really like that. It, it's got some parallels, I guess, if you're familiar with, let's say, Cloudflare worker uh, uh, durable objects. Um, but we are it, we're fundamentally quite different under the hood uh, in the sense that uh, we focus on the events uh, replay, sort of the uh, event source replay and reconstruction of uh, all the events, whereas durable objects kind of focuses on uh, providing just the durable object as, as a primitive. Um, so there's other parallels that you can kind of think of. So Terraform, for example, um, is very specialized on provisioning uh, infrastructure. And we could be used for that as well. Um, actually, HashiCorp uses Temporal with Terraform uh, for orchestrating Terraform itself, uh, which, which is kind of kind of very loopy if you kind of get right down to it, because yeah. uh, you also use Temporal to provision for Temporal, um, and then and it's going to scale up itself. Um, it, it kind of just uh, comes to Kynet from from there on out. Um, but I think um, 
there's a lot more innovation going on uh, in, in the different sort of use cases of, of Temporal. So uh, we were just talking about the infrastructure provisioning use case. And for example, Pulumi might, is another name that you might have come across, AWS CDK. Um, so both of those are philosophically closer to what Temporal is than Terraform uh, because of the programmatic uh, creation of infrastructure, uh, which is something that, that we align on quite well as well. Like we, we, we are of the opinion that the best language for creating all this stuff is a general purpose language that you're used to, like TypeScript, like Python, whatever, um, because you can reuse all your software engineering best practices instead of having to learn, um, yeah, a, a new domain specific language like, like what you're seeing here. So what I grabbed from here is actually a screen grab from uh, Google Workflows, which is how normal workflows are written in a bunch of uh, other um, cloud providers, and it's verbose. It's you have to learn it. You can't really. <laughs> yeah. You can only do what they let you do, right? You can't really. If you need a function, if you need like a module, you need like variables, you need loops. You just have to look up the syntax yourself, and you have to in implement like syntax highlighting. You have to implement. <laughs> uh, uh, there's no. There's no testing. Sorry, like it's just all over the place, um, yeah. and so. Um, you know, we, we, we are strongly opinionated that you should use a general purpose language. Um, and, and that's, that's what we offer you there. So, yeah, I, I think you'll get the similar, uh, similar perspective, uh, from the Pulumi and AWS CDK people, but, uh, we are doing this for general purpose orchestration. So in other words, not, uh, apart from just infrastructure provisioning, you can use us for sort of human in the loop workflows, like, um, because anything long running that involves humans also qualifies as, as long running. Um, and you can also use this for monitoring use cases like distributed cron jobs that say a million simultaneous cron jobs all running all at once um, and, uh, and firing at different points in time. Uh, that's something that's also use, useful for us as well. Um, does that give you a better picture? I think it does. Uh, the one thing that kind of caught my mind, you, you talked about temporal cloud or hosting yourself. So can you host a version of temporal on like AWS? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of people that do that. Uh, you can host on Azure, AWS, mm -hmm. GCP. Uh, there's We have some customers on render.com, which is like an abstraction over AWS. Uh, really, we're not opinionated about the deploy layer. And we're very committed to being MIT open source, okay. uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it, it helps us solve a lot of questions when people are evaluating adopting you because um, they'll say things like, oh, you're just a Series A startup, now we're Series B. But back then, we we're Series A, and we we're like, how can we depend on you? Like, this is our most critical workloads because that's by definition, that's what you've chosen to tackle. How can we depend on you to, uh, to do this work? And, uh, and the only thing that we say is you could run it yourself on a Kubernetes cluster in AWS and you just switch over the connection strings and um, and then you're self-hosting already. So that's really nice to say. Um, I think there the devil's in the details with regards to scaling and upgrading versions. Uh, and that's where we come in as Temporal Cloud. We sort of have a fully managed service for you uh, if you don't want to deal with any of that. What is the pricing on the Temporal Cloud and is there like a free tier for testing for developers? The free tier is open source, uh, so just <laughs> do it, run Docker Compose. Um, uh, pricing is not public yet. Uh, we do have uh, people running um, multi-billion dollar companies. I think uh, the, the the ones that I can reference now are uh, Snapchat Stories. Every Snapchat Story runs through Temporal, uh, as well as Qualtrics, every survey. Um, and uh, and you have a bunch of logos on the website. Uh, but we, we pricing is not public. So we have um, private design partners, and hopefully we'll be launching uh, Temporal Cloud later to a more general general audience uh, later this year. Yeah, I mean, just kind of going through some of the names that are, are public because <laughs> they're out on the site. Um, 
huge companies. I mean, Netflix, Stripe. So yeah, the, well, the secret of this is, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, just to, just to peel the curtains back a little bit. Not all of these are paying customers. Okay, That's some great. of these are self-hosted, open source people, uh, and and so we get to use their their logos, but they're not actually paying customers, which is not which is fine, right? Like, I mean, you know, as sure, long as sure. you trust the software, that's uh, good. So. Um, I, I think we talked a minute about like Pulumi and I'm kind of curious, like Pulumi kind of abstracts, right? So even though you're writing like some AWS items and you're writing it in TypeScript, which I love doing it that way, at the end of the day, that typically, and I might be wrong on this because it's been a while, ends up as like a cloud formation template that then gets executed on their side. I don't know if they execute the APIs directly, but there's always like that language that you have to talk through. When you're dealing kind of with the temporal side, is that the case again, or like because it's no. temporal executing, like you just get the code and you're you're off to the races? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it's the latter. Um, yeah, so that's where again, like I, I say, we're philosophically aligned with Pulumi, but we're not 100% aligned uh, because uh, the the need to compile to cloud formation is definitely a. Uh, uh, a Something that something that is a constraint, but also you know uh, obviously helps Pulumi uh, interface with AWS very nicely. Uh, we're not about that, right? Like so, we'll, we'll sort of delegate that layer to let's say Terraform, um, and we are very general purpose um, in, in and and everything sort of compiles down to uh, Temporal's own event source um, definitions, and that's about it. Like there's no there's no sort of intermediate representation there. Like every, everything is just events flying back and forth between the client and the server. Uh, and that's all you need really to, to execute that, which also means that we're very nicely polyglot. Um, so a Go activity can call a TypeScript active, uh, work, sorry, work, Go workflow can call TypeScript activity and so on and so forth. So essentially like the number of our polyglot use cases uh, goes up by the square of our SDKs, which is pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> Cool. Um, but I mean, I, I try not to push that so much because most people should not be polyglot just for polyglot's sake. Um, right. You just kind of do it just because, uh, you know, obviously you have some libraries available and some languages and, and some not. So uh, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. Like, um, like Pulumi is doing what it can in, in, in that context. Uh, but it's, it's really nice to, to have like a general purpose uh, sort of version of that with no intermediate representation that can be applied to a lot more use cases than just infrastructure provisioning. Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes, because obviously uh, being so flexible means that you don't get a lot out of the box either. Like you have to code a lot of stuff yourself, um, which is why like I try not to frame Temporal as a quick win because there is a learning curve. There is uh, some amount of like you have to port over existing code to Temporal. Um, but we try to make it easy for you. We, we try to you know uh, offer as much help as possible and, and a lot of uh, learning tutorials and lessons. And that's kind of my job. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it's, it's not that difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. I, I feel like that's with any new technology. Like there's <laughs> that learning curve you have to work through. And then once you get it, you start clicking off and see all the benefits yeah. too. So awesome. Uh, I want to answer uh, Brittany a little bit more on pricing. So sure. although I cannot give you exact pricing numbers because uh, that's not public yet, um, the way to think about it is that Temporal is a sort of database plus queues plus state machine plus scheduler, uh, like distributed cron schedule system, uh, all sort of wrapped into one. And 
you can self-host that or we can sort of do it for you, but you, you sort of be paying the sum of the parts costs of each of those components. Um, and it's not that much, like we're, we're an infrastructure business, you know, we're not going to charge like per, uh, per user or per seat or anything like that. Uh, it's just kind of how much workload are you trying to uh, execute? And uh, pretty much like the, the comparables in the space, like AWS Step Functions, um, are quite universally regarded to be expensive. Uh, and so actually that causes a burden for people trying to get this stuff done because now they have to weigh costs into the equation of whether or not I should use this technology. So our goal is to eliminate that. Like we want to be like 10% of that cost. Um, and we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. Like we have very definite plans to, to be there. Um, and by reducing the cost of adopting something like this, our hope is that we improve the general state of reliable software um, everywhere, right? Like by bringing the cost down, like everyone like stops thinking about whether or not it's worth it, and they just throw it on just because it's a best practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that is uh, that's something that we're I think everyone in the company is very passionate about because they've seen how hard it is to do this right. Um, and coming across a technology like this, uh, like people have left Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, like you know, like to to come work here and. You don't do that uh, just on pure cash. Like you do that because there's a mission overall, um, and it's very nerdy to say the mission is more reliable software, but kind of is. <laughs> yes, it's better developer experience and probably better end user experience too if you can solidify that process. Yes, yeah, um, we have a lot to do to get that to like. Obviously, we we provide a better developer experience by separating that the distributed systems concern out to a central platform. Um, I think we have a bit more to do to, to make the user experience good by default. So at minimum, like every call should have timeouts and retries. I think that is a good uh, user experience as well. But uh, something that we don't do, we don't help you do very well is failures, like co communicating failures and establishing best practices around, right? All right, stuff goes down, like it's fine. Like, you know, we can't eliminate all the failures, but let's actually have some best practices around how that is surfaced to the user and making it easy for them to, let's say, uh, manually resolve or just be notified whenever a failure occurs. A lot of times, you know, you would just sort of catch a failure and rethrow it or log it to, to some system somewhere. And it's kind of, you, can, you kind of eat the failure or eat the error, and that's not good experience at all. So um, I think our industry as a whole needs to be a lot better there. So can we can we talk? Like I think we we got kind of the nuts and bolts of uh, I almost said Terraform, uh, Temporal. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of like more like higher level. When we start to talk about current services, you have this great setup when you do the self self provisioning runtime and like just to break this down today, when you put that language piece in the infrastructure, can you talk through like? what that holy grail piece is and kind of how we're missing it right now? We're missing it because right now we're making advancements in programming languages. Um, so, you know, you think about the progression from like C, C to C++ to C Sharp to JavaScript to uh, there's Java somewhere in the middle and, <laughs> and Python. Um, and right now, the programming language community is very caught up in type systems. Like, uh, if only we had a better, stronger type system, the world would be a better place. And I'm like, sure, that that is that's great, but like, really, like the big advancements in languages has been eliminating entire class of problems that you no longer, uh, you as a programmer, no longer has to have to think about. So I'm thinking specifically of memory management, right? Like, most of the time. 
um, you don't really need to do manual memory management if there is if the language runtime does it for you. Uh, and yes, there is a trade-off to that. Every every now and then, you're gonna have to have performance uh, regressions because of GC or whatever. But most of the time, it's fine. It's completely fine. And like 99% of people should just use the simpler language. Um, and I think that's where we are with infrastructure. Like on the infrastructure side, again, we used to be managing a lot of servers ourselves and then sort of moving more and more of that to the cloud. Uh, but provisioning the infrastructure is still very manual. Uh, it's still very um, like I have to declare a bunch of JSON. Like I, I don't care where you work. Like I used to work at AWS Amplify where like, you know, everything is going to reduce down to a, like a CLI command. You run a CLI command, you, you magically stand up like a whole GraphQL instance or Elasticsearch instance or whatever. And that's fantastic and expensive. But <laughs> uh, then you have to do a lot, a lot of work to connect your app to the infrastructure that you just spun up. So really, like, I think the ultimate end goal of both of these evolutions is a place where the infrastructure reads your app and provisions the infrastructure that you need for it, right? The, the, the hosting platform uh, should be smart enough because uh, you're using whatever SDK calls or language constructs in your code to read your code and to provision what, whatever is need, needed from it to analyze it during runtime and to optimize for that uh, as well. Uh, so I think there's a bunch of people that are uh, yeah. Have you have you come across um have you come across uh, Darklang? So that's one of the screenshots that I featured in that blog post. I have not, uh, other than reading it in here. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that famous because um, it's not that successful, but um, it's one of those magical experiences. So Darklang is um, created by Paul Bigar, who's um, uh, the former founder of uh, CircleCI. Uh, and being from oh. CircleCI, he sort of uh, made it. And so now as a rich man, he's going to play around with these tools and hopefully inventing the future. Uh, so he's inventing a combination IDE plus language plus infrastructure tool, right? So um, what you're doing here is you're coding in his custom language um, on, his, on his custom IDE, and which deploys onto his custom platform. So a lot of vendor lock-in, um, everyone knows that. But like, if you make that one trade-off, what do you get? You get um, basically an, an IDE that provisions infrastructure as you code it, right? Like you can see the database that's right there. Uh, as you code code uh, to the, the the business logic that's going to read and write to that database, and it's just a magical experience. I, I don't think I've never seen any, ever seen anything like it. Um, so uh, obviously he's a little bit ahead of his time. He's quite a bit ahead of his time, but I think we're going to get there. And I think we need to find the, the incremental bridges to get there. And I think you see smatterings of this in other forms as well. So even like let's say with Netlify which uh, you know, I, I know we're all very familiar with. Um, even with Netlify, like provisioning a uh, Netlify form basically just requires you, like if you're, if you're in HTML, not JavaScript, if you're in HTML, you just drop a Netlify tag on your form and that provisions a form backend for your form frontend, right? That is magical as well. And I think there's a lot of small instances like that uh, in a bunch of uh, other provi uh, cloud providers. So I could, I could call out examples for begin and uh, serverless.com and uh, examples like that. But I think um, we're slowly getting there and I would like us to take one giant leap by <laughs> progressing both the language and infrastructure to that final end goal. Cause that's where we're going anyway. Like, it's so obvious. 
Yeah, it feels like temporal kind of helps or fits in the middle of this too. So if you can temporal, yeah, like stop yeah. worrying about all of those things going on with these microservices. Like microservices are awesome. Like you can scale forever and and grow like crazy. But orchestration and like failures, hundred percent, mm -hmm. they're painful. <laughs> yeah, we talked a little about that decision paralysis for choosing a system like this. So who might consider this, or who would Temporal's target customer be? Yeah, um, I think it starts with the backend engineer, uh, the person who, especially if they're a bit more of the sort of architect level and they're responsible for multiple teams um, or an application that crosses the multiple boundaries. So imagine, for example, uh, if you're responsible for the end-to-end -end journey of an Uber Eats uh, order. And, right, Uber Eats is is fairly complicated. There's three parties involved. You know, the the buyer, the the driver and then the the, the merchant. Um, you'd have to do pricing. You have to do matching. You have to do sort of order acceptance and delivery. Uh, you have to pick up the order. You have to sort of uh, uh, take uh, tips. You have to take uh, you know do email confirmation. You have to do payments and readings and all that. And imagine each of those functions that I just named are a separate software team that's maintaining that capability. You know at Uber scale. Um, so who is responsible for tying all those things together, making sure that uh, the, the data doesn't get lost in the, in the way. Um, and if, you know, any of these uh, systems start, start being unresponsive, uh, diverting traffic or raising that alert level to, uh, to some sort of manual resolution step, um, all of that. And then, and then saying like, all right, um, you know, coordinating all these, all these, all these teams together um, and then say, and then be able to say like, I want to test this uh, to make sure that I'm warned against any regression. Uh, I want to version it uh, in, in, when I, when I need to make changes so that old still running workflows are still running there, but the new ones are running on, on the sort of upgraded process that we're trying to phase in. Um, very complicated stuff like that. Um, and, and, then, and then also being able to handle spikes arbitrarily. Like, like let's, let's say I have a thousand new orders coming in. Like how do I sort of flow that through the system um, in, in a reasonable fashion with, with high observability if, if stuff goes wrong? Um, I think, I think uh, that is sort of the ideal sweet spot. And, I like to tell the Uber story because Temporal started at Uber. Like both the founders created the open source software uh, for four years at Uber before spinning out to to become Temporal. Um, so I think there's a there's a similar version of this in a lot of other companies, um, uh, which is why like we have you know that big wall of logos uh, because anything long running to do with like sort of anything from CI/CD to uh, uh, human in the loop work. Uh, when I say human in the loop, I mean like, for example, Checker is a is an API background check company. You, you sort of call an API to check the background of someone whether or not, or not um, they're qualified to to work. Uh, let's say as as a driver for you, um, and they can go out and do criminal background checks with like up to including going to the courthouse and like looking through criminal records and stuff like that. Um, and all of that is sort of in a single API call because it's temporal in the back end, sort of being able to persist and wait for human resolution steps before continuing uh, to the next thing. Um, and it's, it's, it opens up very interesting synergies between human and machine. Um, sorry, I, I feel like I, I, uh, I went off the, the track there. But basically anything like as, as a back end engineer, like having a tool to do all this stuff uh, means that you no longer have to sort of reinvent from first principles every single time that you're doing it. Yeah, it seems like it simplifies a lot of the things. I had never thought about all the different things that you have to touch for programs like Uber Eats. Like you have to get into so many different things. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Ultimately, like, uh, so 
I talk about this um, for the backend engineer who's like the, the just a regular app developer wants to wants to get stuff going. Um, but ultimately, I think the company serves the platform engineer, which who is sort of the uh, the central developer that serves other developers within a company. Um, and right now, we are serving the job of orchestrating long running work. But really, in future, we could be doing other jobs as well. So if the temporal, you know, ever came up with a second product uh, and became more of like a HashiCorp where HashiCorp, you know, has several products that they're sort of all launching towards a, a certain developer profile. Um, I think that's where Temporal probably should go eventually as well. We're not there yet. I mean, we don't have any plans. But like um, once this whole long running thing is solved, <laughs> if it's ever solved, um, then we could start thinking about other products to come up with to help serve that central platform developer. Awesome. One last thing I was wondering about is I've seen you post that you're getting to work with Svelte a little bit and getting to build some things for Temporal with Svelte and possibly even hiring a Svelte developer. So I wanted to see how much you're getting to use Svelte and what that looks like at Temporal. Yeah, um, so I, I don't, I'm not uh, on the UI team, uh, but I work with the UI team pretty closely. Uh, and we chose to build on Svelte and SvelteKit. Um, and I tried to have as little involvement in that decision as possible because I didn't want to influence the, the decision. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that um, you know people are independently picking Svelte and SvelteKit to to build with, uh, even though it's alpha or beta software. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's been very productive. Our, our new UI is built in Svelte um, that we are launching. Um, it's it's in uh, public beta right now, um, and I think uh, people have just like you know being more productive with it and uh, having faster applications because uh, the the bundle size is really small. All the benefits that you heard about Svelte are, are true, <laughs> um, and yes, we're I think we're hiring uh, front end engineers. Um, and so if you're interested in basically what what this is right, like so again. This is uh, there's there's the boring way to talk about a job, which is like here's the technologies that you work with, and that's cool. Like you know, there's a bunch of other places you could do that. Um, but what what we what it is is that this is the one of the most advanced backend uh, orchestration frameworks that's ever existed, ever like in in the history of uh, the uh, in in the history of this stuff. Basically, our two co-founders have been involved in uh, this work at Amazon, Google, Uber, uh, Microsoft, and so on. Um, so very, very advanced in the back end, like very strong, like like there's there's a huge muscles in the back end on, on, <laughs> on one side. And then on the front end, it's like a really tiny, teeny tiny, like there's been no UX uh, done on this. There's been no design, no like no front end innovation for the past like four-ish years. Um, so what we want to do is <laughs> we want to uh, bring in the front end to make it, uh, to give the back end some justice, to, to give uh, the back end developers and, and, any, and basically anyone who uses Temporal uh, Sort of the, the front end experience that uh, that is deserving of uh, so the, the quality of engineering of the back end. <laughs> awesome. You're on mute, Alex. <laughs> no wonder all my questions aren't being heard. <laughs> um, no, I was just asking. Um, is there a true admin piece to this? Like, I feel like it's very CLI and like code driven, like infrastructure as code. Is there something like that? It absolutely is. Uh, okay. So yeah, that's something that we don't do. Well. I don't, I don't like to show it off just because again, the design is, is not, is not great. It was done sure. by some backend engineers like four years ago. Um, we're working on a new one. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, you should be able to, you know, create a cron job from the UI. You should be able to, able to inspect 
the states of any running workflow from the UI um, and treat it as essentially like a process manager or task manager for your overall system. Um, so imagine, it, you know, it's sort of the activity monitor in, in Mac or a win, a task manager sure. in Windows uh, and being able to see all those little processes that are running, like what amount of CPU they're, con they're consuming, where they're stuck, which one's unresponsive. Imagine having that level of visibility onto all the micros, all the sort of long running jobs that are running in your company. Um, and I think that that is where we're ultimately going to end up with the UI. So we talked a, a minute about kind of like AWS has their version of a, a tool that could po possibly do this or like Pulumi. How much like mixing and matching do you see going on when you start to move over to temporal? Um, like, can you create a database or anything like that on this side of it? On what side? On when, when you uh, just all in temporal? Can you like live in temporal to like scaffold? Yeah. Um, or is it the, like you could? You could, but realistically, no. Um, okay. Realistically, there are things that temporal are is is really good at that you should do that for, and then there are things that it's not good at. So, for example, if you're you want to do blob storage, um, you should not put your blob data into temporal. Um, it, it, it's not that temporal doesn't handle big data. Uh, it, it's just that it's just the wrong kind of storage. Like you, if you are storing like gigabytes and terabytes of stuff, sure. you should put in S three, and you should just pal pass the file handler around, you know, in, instead of uh, the, the actual file. Um, so like stuff like that. Just, uh, I guess having even to like, introduce in like the IOC like level of something. Like if I'm in Pulumi and I'm creating those resources, can is there like a bridge there to continue like the rest of that orchestration, or do I have to like jump back and forth? I guess. Uh, there's no bridge today. Um, everything is written. Everything is definable as code, so you could write that bridge yourself. Uh, but there's nothing sort of inbuilt that we're, we're providing for you. Um, I don't think in practice people mix and match in that way sure. that often. Um, so in, in uh, yeah, in other words, when, when people move to us, they 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 do a rewrite. Okay. Um, but it's because they desire something that they're not getting in in whatever system that they currently have. So we have people replacing Kubernetes with us. Um, and it, it sounds weird because uh, we're hostable on Kubernetes. So you use a system that's hosted on Kubernetes. Uh, but, but that's because um, we give you finer grain control than Kubernetes does with its um, sort of reconciliation loops and stuff. Um, so I think uh, it, it really depends on your use case and depends like how discerning you are. If you are fine with like the defaults that those systems give you, then by all means, go ahead. Uh, but I think people come to us for a very high degree of control because yeah. everything is defined as code and code is sort of the ultimate sort of base truth layer on which you can build everything else. Cool. Yeah, makes sense. Is there anything we didn't cover? I mean, we've we've kind of <laughs> floated all over the place. Is there any examples or anything like that that you want to show off, Sean? Um, I think the canonical example that uh, usually captures people is sort of the subscription building example. Um, I don't know if I have that in my uh, my write-up, uh, but that's where it really sort of gets you to hook. Uh, it, it, I think it's on our landing page as well, if you kind of scroll down the middle, like the, the first code sample that uh, comes up. Um, to really get it, right, like you move stuff from uh, normal, let's say Node.js code, into workflows and activities. Uh, there's a code sample right around here. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this is in Go, but we have equivalents in Java and, and and TypeScript and PHP, um, you move stuff from uh, normal Node.js code into into Temporal, and you get 
magical retry and timeout um, capabilities uh, every single time you make an API call. That's very good. Uh, but we are not just the retries and timeouts framework, right? Once you make the compromise of, of moving some code over to workflows, we give you extra capabilities that you would not have. So for example, here is uh, an example of us doing a subscription, or like a reminder workflow, where essentially you're saying like, all right, uh, after one, seven or 30 days, you can send a reminder email. And all you do is you set a timer uh, for, to sleep for one, uh, you know, one, six or 23 days. Um, and that timer is is durable. In other words, that your system, your work, your worker, uh, and temporal itself can go down, and all you all you do is just restart it back up, and it picks up where it left off. Uh, and that is a bit magical compared to what you're used to, where if you had a like a durable timer inside of your your process, you would actually block that resource for 30 days. This is why we don't do it, right? We have to sort of externalize that to a separate timer. Uh, and this is a little bit about the. The, the feeling that it takes to have a self-provisioning runtime, right? Because the timer is just automatically provisioned for you when you make that sleep call. Um, and so we have this for, for TypeScript. We have this for uh, for all the SDK languages that we have. And we have a bunch, we have like something like 30 uh, SDK features that uh, give you superpowers when you when you write workflows like this. That's pretty um, cool. And they're all composable. That you can, so you can make your own little libraries that, that uh, write, um, that, that create your own things. Uh, so for example, uh, creating scheduled posts like Twitter's scheduled post implementation is terrible, um, uh, <laughs> and like I like like if you if you try to schedule a post for under a day, it actually does it client side, so it doesn't it doesn't send on the browser. Like yeah, it, the it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so it's so it's so it's pretty sad. Um, and I think if they had something like this, they would they would have a much more robust implementation. Uh, so have this in your head. <laughs> <laughs> have this in your head. Uh, have this um, thought of like what what could you do if uh, queues, timers, uh, child processes, like all this stuff could be durably uh, created uh, on demand as you coded, right? Um, and that you never had to go provision infrastructure and then come back to code and then continue with where you left off. Um, that's what Temporal sort of provides for you, and I think that's a magical future. That's cool. Awesome. I did uh, we, have a user question. Did you see that? Yeah, okay. There you go. I wanted to throw that up before we transition here. So what are the most oh, yeah. common tasks or use cases that small companies or startups come to Temporal for? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think this is a very fair question because I just I talk a lot about the, the big company use cases because obviously those are household names. The less householdy names are actually more realistic and relatable. Um, so can we go to flick.tech? Sure. Um, so there are... Uh, there are company that I'm going to talk about. And then we can also talk about Flight Control as well. So Flight Control is Brandon Bayer and Mina Abadir's company that uh, they just started and they're a white company there right now. It's just a three-person company and they're using us happily. Uh, but going, with, going to Flick.tech is, is probably more relatable. Uh, so this is an Instagram monitoring business. Uh, what they do is, for example, if, you, if you're an Instagram influencer, if you're like a professional Instagram person, whatever you, whatever you, is, <laughs> you do on Instagram, I, I don't judge. But let's say you monitor you're like- Kardashian, right? <laughs> uh, let's say you monitor like a hundred different hashtags and you want to be on top of it. You, you want to be like in the conversation. Anytime something goes viral uh, in, in that hashtag, uh, Flick actually monitors that but with Temporal by polling all those, uh, like something like a million hashtags across all of its users um, and giving you alerts and notifications when, when that happens. Uh, the reason you don't want to do this with a regular cron job is because the single execution of any one of those can take hours, like, yeah. Days. 
what you want, what you need to do is you should actually be spinning up a process for every single user and every single hashtag that they, that they own, which is millions. Uh, and then being able to independently work on each of them uh, as and when their time comes due. Um, so the hashtag monitoring one is the, the most intensive usage of cron that I've seen for like essentially like a one person shop. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this is incredible leverage, right? Because ultimately like your ability to derive economic value as a developer comes from your ability to, to leverage machines like this to do more than one person would normally be able to do. And I think uh, Temporal is extremely empowering because of uh, the ability to let you do stuff like this. There's also like, there's a smaller hat use case here uh, for, for Flick, which I really like, which is scheduled posts, which is again, the same the same thing, like scheduled posts for Instagram. I don't know, is, is that a thing in Instagram natively itself? I don't think so. I, think I, so. I thought part yeah. of their API has it now because um, through Social B, I can schedule them, so. Mm. Right, but Social B probably made that, not Instagram. Mm, maybe, yeah. So, so Flick does Flick offers that to its to its customers as well. So it's kind of let's say like a, for, uh, a fairly sort of um, uh, commoditized thing. Yeah. Uh, but again, like um, it's different when you do it for one person versus like two hundred thousand people. Yeah. Um, and to have like massively distributed cron and being able to pick up all that work uh, and to schedule work uh, to go out when it's supposed to do, uh, to be able to change the dates because uh, people change their minds all the time. So you're not just setting a, a Define date in the future. You also have to uh, be able to change that and to cancel it and to uh, say to to send sort of pre warm up reminders, which is another thing that a lot of people like to do. Um, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of engineering, and uh, they, they I, I think they're able to model that with Temporal, and, and I'm pretty happy that they did. Even though it's like not a like compared to the monitoring work, like that's a lot less compute wise, and they sort of pay us less for it. Uh, but I think in terms of value to the user, it's it's very high. Like uh, it's, um, it, it means that they can not be on Instagram all day long. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm thinking of like a crazy example now. I, I heard somebody um, talk about once that they take like a two hour long movie and their app is, is basically taking that and breaking it down into five second yeah. chunks, the whole yeah. thing, so that they can yeah. then like HSL or whatever they want to do, they can convert it all of those five second chunks and i'm thinking like temporal would be amazing to do stuff like that with because you need all of those completed before you get it stitched back together and where's failures and all that fun stuff yeah um so uh, actually descript is one of our users um oh, I, yeah. I think it's our earliest uh public cloud customer um and yeah i don't know if you've ever noticed but if you try throwing in like a three-hour audio file to descript it takes about the same time as it does like a 30-minute audio file ah, because so crazy they chunk it up and split it out. Um, and being able to farm out that work is kind of the other half of Temporal's uh, job, which is uh, really what we're doing is we're taking uh, every job that you come in and farming it out to fleet of workers that are qualified to work on that task. And you can dynamically scale up the, that fleet of workers as well, um, which is really great for spikes in workloads. And obviously um, being able to coordinate across those uh, systems is 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 magic in and of itself. Like being able to to spin up child workflows from that workflow, uh, and being able to control pro those workflows programmatically is is kind of part of the rocket science part of uh, temporal. So yeah, um, yeah, chunking up like video processing is my canonical example of long running work before I came to temporal and understood that even file transfer, even like uh, cryptocurrency transactions are also long running work, um, and even human in the loop stuff is also long running work. Like, and there's there's a lot of uh, processes that can be described as workflows once you really get right up to it. Yeah, cool. 
Well, I think we, we kind of covered every single piece of temporal, and I think <laughs> it's time to jump into our perfect picks. Uh, Sean, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll give you picks. a minute in case you have one, yeah. but uh, Brittany, Brittany's got the, the first go here. Yeah, sure. If you want to share your screen. So the first link that I threw out there was the thing that we were looking at earlier, which is Sean's blog post on kind of why temporal. So it will walk you through some of the use cases for it and some good graphs in there. So I thought I would throw that out there for people if they want to look into that. Yeah, that's a good one. My second one is GitHub Copilot, which I got access to maybe a month ago or so and i don't know i am obsessed with it i know it like has its ups and downs but i really really like it you have to turn it off for live streaming and live coding but it's really nice for some of the graphql schema stuff that i was doing it was like it just auto generated all of that and it was glorious why do you have to yeah, turn i, off I can for live that coding? just just because it fills in too much because it's distracting it like mm. starts to like <laughs> scaffold out stuff that you maybe don't you're trying to explain something and then it's like scaffolding out this other stuff and so it's not only distracting for me talking about code but i'm sure it's distracting for the user watching i gotcha so but how come so how come it's distracting during live streaming and not during normal coding like yeah. is it, wouldn't it be also distracting then i think because during normal coding it's like helpful to me i'm like oh that's exactly what i wanted to do but it makes you you still have to like stop in your brain and think about, oh, is this really what I wanted and look at it. But if you're live streaming and you're live coding and you're talking about your code, it literally makes you stop talking. And so that's distracting uh, to everyone. Yeah, Process overhead. Uh, your third pick. Well, yeah. Which I, is in like 30 minutes. I threw that in there. It's in 30 minutes. So I just wanted to throw it out there for everyone that's here. Go jump over there. In 30 minutes, we have Scott Talinsky doing a Spelt Sirens talk. Build in 3D with Spelt. I think he's using Spelt Cube. I'm really excited about it. So we're going to yeah, put it over there. His, his new course for this came out, right? With three it did. It just came out three days ago. So Cool. Yeah, good timing. Uh, my first pick... We've been watching the Wonder Years uh, kind of as a family, and it's amazing, like the topics it brings up and like it makes like a conversation with my son about topics I probably wouldn't talk about so much easier. So it's it's been a really good show. I, I, I love watching it with him. I didn't know this was out. Is this like what a remake Plus? of the original? Yeah, it's a remake. Awesome. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. So I have to check, check it out. that one out. It's pretty good. Uh, this, my second pick is DevTools. Uh, I this was not on my radar. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, our our CEO is going to be on here from uh, Builder.io, and I'm like checking it out a little more. So it's pretty cool. This is one of the ones I've listened to. Um, was who are the host of this? Didn't I meet someone at Svelte Society at yes. the watch party? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um... Um, I, yeah, I think, um, I th Andrew? Uh, no, Andrew, I don't think Andrew was there. Um, Justin, Justin Bennett. Okay. Yep. I was like, he that sounds really familiar. Yeah. Very stylish guy. <laughs> cool. I don't know if you have anything, Sean. I know we we're kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. Well, I put, I put it in the chat. Um, it is the 2021 state of JavaScript. Um, I think it's just recently out. 
probably not news to people who are extremely online, but it was, and you were fortunate enough to get to write the, is this the write-up that you did or? Um, well, I, I did, I did the conclusion, but, uh, this is not the, this is the intro. Um, okay. but I think, uh, it's worth browsing and I think it's worth, uh, going through like, you know, what's new in JavaScript and, uh, who's doing well, who's doing not so well. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, it's not polite to, to say about, talk about things that they're not doing so well, but I think it's interesting to me because I have seen these things evolve over the last six years now. And, um, yeah, you, some things are definitely more popular than I, I ever thought they would be. And some things are, did not turn out as well as I thought they would be. So it's, uh, it's interesting to basically train yourself on like, things are always in flux and uh, what's new today that you're ignoring could be the, the biggest, hottest thing this year. Uh, so my favorite example of this is uh, Veet was not on the survey last year. Uh, it was in, in fact, the third place, the third place right in technology was, was Veet. And oh this year is the gosh. first. Um, so yeah, things changed quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think uh... there's value for these things, even if there's issues with them. And I know we've got lots of like haters on it, but I think that there's still value for the community in seeing what's new out there and what's popular and why it's being used. I feel really bad for the Angular team. It just keeps going left. Uh, it's just reality, you know. You have to kind of take roll of the punches and see as it, you know. If I was on that team, I would try to think about uh, what I, what I do to uh, to increase the excitement because I think that's part of the job. Uh, you know, obviously, sure. people are very hype driven, and you shouldn't make everyone happy, but you should at least build some excitement about your your company. Your yeah, for sure. Cool. Any last uh, little tidbits about Temporal? How to get started? Uh, join join the community. Um, yeah. Oh, temporal.io/slack is our Slack, and come say hi, and I'll answer any questions that you may want. Sweet. Well, thanks as always, Sean, for coming on. Really Thank appreciate you. it. And we'll catch you next time. Maybe we'll see a little more admin on the Svelte side of uh, Temporal. Yes, yeah. I'd love to show that off. Cool. All right. Take care, everyone. Later. Bye.